Hi, welcome to Agora Community Radio, the podcast for artists in the animation industry who want to listen and learn on the go. This episode is from our A Conversation With series, where we invite pros from all walks of our industry to have a chat with us about their background and experiences, and then we finish it off with a little Q&A from the audience. You can always head on over to our website, agora.community, to watch the full video, or if you just want to listen to what we think are the most interesting bits and pieces of these conversations, you can listen to the Agora Bytes clips on this channel. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hello, welcome to yet, I think this might be the very first conversation with Stream um, in December. So welcome to our first Christmas-themed Agora conversation. Um, we have um, an amazing guest here today that um, has a um, a great deal of experience. He's um, um, you know I, he's been around for quite a while. He's won lots of awards, and um, and uh, he's got a lot of stories to tell. It's definitely a very funny individual. I love having conversations with this this particular uh, individual. It's uh, kind of the kind of one of those people that you feel like you just talk to for hours, just because he's got lots of interesting ideas. He's quite quite the creative visionary as far as I'm concerned. Um, we'll bring in David. We can talk more about him and then bring him on the show. Hello, David. Hey, Brent. How are you? I agree. Daniel, guys, is pretty awesome. I was uh, also looking forward to this one. It's been a while since we uh, we, we, we planned this one. So I yep. can't believe we're already it's there happening. in December having having this conversation. Here we are. Actually, yeah. we have a crazy list of people um, we're booking out well into the next year now um, of, with people. They, they're not all on the calendars yet, but they're all under work. So we have a lot of really interesting conversations to uh, to come in the new year for yeah, sure. I think, we, I think we got scared at some point, like, holy shit, we have just <laughs> two more of those. We, we yeah. need to invite a few more people. And then yeah. it got yeah. out of control Avalanche. and we're now booking like March <laughs> yeah. of next year. Yeah. But that's, that's good. We, keeping yeah. a pace of one guest a week is a... It's a, it's a good pace. I like it. I agree. Yeah. So Daniel, you, we, we like, I mean, it was, it's interesting because Daniel, Daniel's backstory here obviously is quite deep, but the interaction between Agora and mm -hmm. Daniel um, um, happened relatively recently, right? Yeah. We had uh, mutual friends uh, that put us in, in, in contact uh, at the time. I think it was two years, a little bit more than two years ago. Uh, mm. um, they were working on a, on a short film and we help uh, a little bit to complete animation. And then we stayed in touch with uh, Dan, who was the uh, artistic director and director of the, uh, the, the short film. So we remained in touch uh, since then. Uh, and he also helped a little bit on, on some of our own uh, uh, personal project that we're doing at Agora with the little game that we're uh, right. developing. So, some yeah, of you might have that's... seen that. We streamed that a little while ago. I was kind of doing a play test, and Andrew was making fun of how bad I was. It was uh, that the a lot of the like artistic vision um, is uh, coming from this wonderful man's mind. So it's kind of fun to meet uh, you know one of the uh, one of the people behind the scenes on that. Uh, also, just another fun fact: Ed, is, uh, sorry, um, Daniel it was one of the co-founders of Ed Film. Um, is it a film or at films? I can't remember. I, I think it's ED film, but let, let's ask him. Oh, okay. I always, I always thought as, as Ed, but ED makes way more sense. Cause I guess D stands for Daniel. I just put two, two. I'm so dumb. I'm not the, I'm not the smartest. <laughs> I'm and pretty I, sure D doesn't stand for that. Let, let's, that, that, let's that would out. be a, a first, a good first question for, for a friend here. Okay. Well, let's bring him in. Daniel, here we go. Hello, Daniel. Now I'm here. I'm not muted anymore. <laughs> Sweet. Hello. 
Hello, Hello. I'm here. Thank you for having me. So All right. uh, it's, 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 try to demystify this particular conversation. Um, does ED, is it ED, ED or is it ED, is D for Daniel? Come on, help us out here. It's actually, so it's ED. And it's funny because okay. depending on who you ask, some people think it's ED. Some people think it's actually erectile dysfunction films. Which is, <laughs> and Emily, my business partner, she says, oh, it's usually men over 40 think it's erectile dysfunction films. <laughs> it's context. I don't know yeah, why that audience. is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But no, no it's because the original company name was Everyone Dies Films. Ah, so, yeah. For real? And, yeah, yeah. Because oh, I, I started the film when I, uh, the company, the, the bank account for the company was started mm. when I was a morose and miserable teenager, you know, <laughs> philosophical and all intense. Mm. So mm. It, it was Everyone Dies Films. But as we started, <laughs> we had this, this company was there. It was a sole proprietorship. And, uh, and we had the YouTube channel, which I started mm. in 2006 or seven. And it was under Everyone Dies Films uh, at gmail.com. And I couldn't change it. We couldn't ever oh, change it. So That's, we got stuck just... with it. That's so now amazing. it's just, ed and then most people think it's oh it's emily dan or or um yeah. because emily's the the other co-founder of the of the company it's so, perfect because it's like it's meta right like it could be whatever whatever yeah, you want exactly. it to be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's the worst name ever we're really bad with names of things in our company but what's interesting i think about a name is that if you say any word enough times it loses all meaning and you just don't even mm. think of it anymore so yeah, it's it's the worst name for anything but on it, then the hope is that the work itself uh, you know yeah. outshines the terrible name you know i find that rather relatively ironic that probably one of the most creative uh, firms in in canada is <laughs> has trouble with a quote unquote boring name but anyway, we have the I worst we'll... names we all have the crosses to bear, and I guess this yeah. is yours. That's fine. No, no, exactly. It's fine. I'll take. I'll take those. That. Thank you. Yes. So, is there any philosophical background behind the name? Like everyone <laughs> dies, so we need to make the best of it and be creative, and no time to waste it. Or is it just no? We're. I'm depressed. <laughs> no, it wasn't so much about depression. It was. It was. It was more. You know, it was high school philosophy. You know, university one hundred and one philosophy perspective of. Um, I grew up in the forest and I used to spend a lot of time out in the woods. I grew up um, just mm. beside an indigenous reserve. So the land was all undeveloped um, forest. It's in the Kananaskis Valley, um, mm. which is out, out west near the mountains. So I spent a lot of time in the forests and out in the woods. And so I think like I just started getting this sense of uh, everything comes and goes there, there was just sort of, you know, and I've always been an anxious person about, I'm not gonna have enough time. I'm not gonna have time to do all things. Cause you guys know animation. It takes forever. So it always feels like the smallest idea is going to take a lifetime to realize. And I think there was that aspect of just, uh, the, the awareness of mortality and the, the also, I don't know. You're just, you're just never going to have enough time and that things, everything is going to pass. It's not that important. And I think initially too, we got, there was a little bit of a thing. We used to watch a lot of independent film when we were young and it was really interesting in every story. It's like the biggest thing that can happen in film is somebody dies. And it's really funny how, how it's like the, the, the catalyst for so many, so many films is somebody dies or something. Anyways. So there's that, that element of it as well. So it's, it has a lot of, convoluted reasons for being i suppose pretty cool you mentioned that you've grew up in the the, the wood uh do you feel that ha that has some you know influence on, of becoming an artist or a creative person in 
uh, in general, because this is definitely something that we see in a lot of the the, the art that you're creating. But uh, I can't imagine that at the same time, just the fact of, you know, wandering in the woods, doing nothing and just having your imagination running wild, kind of over time develop this muscle to make a, a creative or develop this creative part of the uh, of the brain. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm curious about that too. I wonder how much I read a book uh, um, a while ago and it was, I can't, I wish I could remember who it was written by, but it was all about walking and how important just walking and not walking specifically to a place is, but just going mm -hmm. for a walk. And I think what was uh, to your point of what's interesting, I think you could do it in a city as well. Um, but just that, that thing of being in, in your mind and not having other things to do or tasks at hand. So what happens is there's a tendency to reflect and observe mm. and just be present. Um, yep. And I think that also because the forest I grew up in was really dangerous. Um, it's full of cougars, bears. It's not the safest place. Like it's, it was completely normal for you to be walking with your dog and you look over and suddenly it's gone because some animal had grabbed it and ran off with it. That wasn't <laughs> uncommon you weren't supposed to leave kids in backyards unattended because they could that's, be picked up by a cougar uh, it's interesting because it adds just another layer to the uh, everyone dies cake yeah, yeah, I, know, I know, I know. <laughs> you come across dead here. bodies everywhere out there not human <laughs> bodies not human <laughs> bodies um but yeah so i guess that there's just something about that environment that definitely allows a lot of thought and contemplation to to happen and plus, mm -hmm. forests are boring. I know every, everyone's like, oh, nature's amazing. It's so, but real, honestly, like when you walk every single day and you're out in the woods, it is the, it is the constant, it is a con constant background. It always, mm -hmm. yes, it's alive and wonderful, but there is something about the imagination that has to, hum at least for me, it has to add a human vector to it to make it mm -hmm. more stimulating, to make the, like to build an element of fantasy and adventure into it. Cause I think nature on its own, um, it, it it is it is a it's a very functional place to me you know it's not it's not there's not elves hiding in the shadows with all these complex storylines wait what you, no i'm sorry they're not there <laughs> <laughs> i haven't seen any but i'm looking i'm always looking for fairies and elves but i never i never met any so okay yeah it's yeah. because of the wildlife they've all been eaten that's, they've all been eaten what, yes i've seen their happened. bodies but yeah <laughs> So is that something that you're missing being now, you know, uh, in <laughs> stuck the, in the uh, city? In, yes, stuck in stuck the dirty in... city. Exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny because since COVID, I've known a lot of people. And I'm sure, you, I'm sure you guys know people too have moved out. To yeah, there's a lot of people that are going so back. So many. Yeah, yeah let's get They're out of the like... country. Yeah. Well, hello, Which, Laurentians. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, if there's an internet connection, they're going. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, and I'm not sure if um, I don't because the thing is, I think because I grew up in, in it so long and then after I lived and I grew up in the forest for so long and then I moved to work in the Banff Center and the Banff Center is in the Banff Mountains. It's in the Rocky Mountains. And so, so there. yeah, it's amazing, right? But I was completely spoiled by it. I even grew up at the bottom mm -hmm. of a ski hill and never skied once. You know, I was, I was just <laughs> that kind of person. I never like participated in yeah. human activity uh, on that level. But <laughs> But the thing that I think I like, cause when I finally left BAMP, I was like, I am so sick of drawing mountain. Like every commission I had, every mm. commercial I did, every animation I did had to have mountains and had to have mm. like forests and yeah. trees. And I just got really tired of it. And I, I don't, you know, I, you know, in Alberta, 
the fashion is not top priority in Alberta. At least it wasn't when I was growing up. Mostly people wear ball caps, jean jackets, and like blue jeans. And there was a, there was a lack of um, human stimulation that I had where I, I, cause I, I used to be in a band and we went on tour in Montreal and I was completely blown away by people wearing scarves and hats mm -hmm. and colored jack, like all this stuff. And I think so much of, as much as I love nature, there, most of the stories that we get involved with are human centric, right? That's the way we tell stories through the lens of human experience. And yep you can't have a story that communicates well with humans unless it's a human there's humans in it or or it's anthropomorphized animals that have been turned so all that to say is i really felt understimulated and undereducated on people and mm -hmm. i was fascinated with people on the same level you might at, at that point the same level you might be fascinated with animals where you're just like wow there's so many different colors and shapes and and it was just yeah. really stimulating and interesting. And I haven't really lost that since leaving. I miss the smell of the forest. I miss that. But for how much, how, um, I, I can't, I do not find a forest rejuvenating on a day-to-day, to-day-to-day basis, like a week after week, month after month, year after year. I find them, they're, they're kind of dark and oppressive. And uh, th you have to bring your own energy to them. Like for me, mm. like you can feel the forest and the trees and all that stuff, but it doesn't necessarily stimulate everything that makes a human human to me. I think you need other people for that. Yeah. So, for me anyway. So it's not necessarily a place that you would go back to, to reconnect with your creative self and be inspired and, you know, just have new ideas. Yeah. For a visit, like a touch and go, but, or for like a few months, you know, to do a few months residency or something like that. But mm -hmm. actually for me, the idea of moving my life, to a forest or back to the the country, um, it it doesn't really uh, excite me in that in that way. I, I kind of feel like it actually feels more oppressive in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. Because um, also I so, feel like it's not very free. You you have to drive everywhere. You have to plan everything, um, and you're at much more at, at you're a victim of the elements a lot more too. So, anyways. Yeah, I'm wondering if that's something that most of the people that got out of the city and either went into a suburb or even further away in the wood are now realizing exactly what you mentioned, that you need to take your car for everything and you need yeah. to plan everything. And, you know, your closest friend might be 15 minutes of, of, uh, yeah. of drive in, in this uh, direction. I'm wondering if there was a romanticization a little bit. For sure. Of, uh, yeah, I predict start. a lot of them coming back. <laughs> a lot. I, I like, actually to some degree too. Then, yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. You have to be very self-contained. I think some people can do it very, very well. And for others, I think it's, it demands a lot of um, discipline too, you know, like, cause there's no mm -hmm. gym, you know, it's not easy to get to the gym and it's not easy to, it's not even easy to drag yourself out for a walk in the woods every day because it doesn't really change that much. So it's not like, or you're not going to go pick up groceries. Like, you know, we walk tons in the city because it's like, you got to get stuff all the time. So I think yeah. there's a lot of discipline. You almost, it almost has to be like a meditative practice for me in order, like I had dogs, so it, it dragged you out every day. You had to go out there. So you mm -hmm. would take those opportunities to be, to be stimulated by and informed by nature. But I think if you're left to your own devices, it's really hard to enforce that kind of routine, yeah. uh, at least in my opinion. If you could fully run your your uh, studio company from from home, would you do it? Because there is a part of all this. Let's go out of the city, is directly mm -hmm. 
connected to the fact that, well, I do not need to be at work anymore. Or if I do, it's going to be once in a while or maximum once or twice a week, no, no more than that. Uh, yeah. What is your thoughts on that for you personally, working from home compared to being on site at the studio? Well, I, I worked from home almost my whole life. So I think because I was a free, I mean, I worked at the BAMP Center for a few years, obviously, but um, before that, well, even since 2007, we only got in this specific studio space, I think four or five years ago. Um, mm -hmm. So before that, we were just working from from a base, the basement or had a studio, you know, the studio space upstairs. People were coming into the house all the time. So I've worked from home a lot. I think I think it's great. Again, I still think for a healthy I had a teacher once um, at the BAMP Center. He was a mentor and he said, no matter what you do, get out of your sweatpants and put on some decent clothes every day that you get up and go, to, you know, even if you're at home. And he said the the reason was it was to change your frame, your mind. So you're creating a routine around mm. being away. You're not just drifting into work. And I think that works for some people. It really depends on your mental profile and how dis, mm. you know, how how much well you understand yourself. But he was saying, and I found that too, is like when I would, I used to, I used to sleep right beside my computer desk. At one point I was working on a short film in Banff and I couldn't afford an apartment because it was being paid for by the production. And so they got me this tiny little room that was as small as the space in them right now. And I had a bed, the computer and like a little hot plate over there. And I would lie in the bed, wake up, roll over and then start working. And like, be like, oh my God, I got to go for a walk at some point. And I found I, it was really mentally unhealthy for me. Like it mm -hmm. didn't, it actually made me feel insane. And it, I got to a point where I was jumping at shadows or people's faces. I'd just be thrown off by this, by people. And I don't, I think fundamentally, I feel like human beings are very social creatures. Most of our mm. values are based in social, comparative social analysis. We're always comparing ourselves to other people and, and what other people are like. And, and I think that without that, it can be very, very, very hard on us. We're almost like, um, would you say, like cannibalizing ourselves at that point mm -hmm. or myself. You know, I can't speak yeah. for everybody else. Yeah, that, that's one of the main uh, struggles. I, I mean, at, at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was like, whoa, okay, I love this thing of working from home. I hate it. And, you know, everyone was kind of trying to, you know, adjust to it. But eventually, mm -hmm. one of the main uh, negative points that I've heard was this blurred line of, I, I have a very hard time to decipher when I should start to work, when I've stopped working, mm -hmm. Meaning that when I'm working, I'm distracted by stuff that is not work. And when I'm not working, I'm thinking about work. So it's not mm -hmm. really relaxing. And it's mm -hmm. the, so, you know, everything that, that you mentioned that people that would literally go out, take a 10 minute walk, come back home and starts to work and then do something similar at the end just to mentally. I know that for myself, I was never super disciplined with routine but that's one of the things that the pandemic arrives like okay i'm going to wake up at this that's going to be my routine pre-work i'm going to work from this hour to this hour at 5 p.m no matter what i stop go have dinner and, and all that and if i need to work i'm going to come back but kind of uh, be very rigid with the amount of hours uh, and when i would work because otherwise you just lose track of time and yeah uh, and, and yeah, the, the, the line are blurred and, and you're not fully effective when you're working and you're not fully relaxing and enjoying life when you're not working. 
So. Yeah, that's true. That's it. I think that's one of the wor the worst aspects. It's the hardest aspect. I think there's personalities that are really good at that because they're great at compartmentalizing and they're also good at scheduling. And it just depends. I, I don't meet a lot of animators that have that level of attention to detail to their own personal self. All that attention to detail goes into their work. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't go into looking at themselves. And I feel like, you know, we're all older. So we've certainly gotten to know ourselves a lot better. Um, but I can't even imagine, I can't imagine being a young artist right now dealing with the responsibility of having to manage your own mental health as well as your work and you kind of balance all those things out without real mentor, any mentorship to guide you in the best practices of how to do that. We're just yeah. not, uh, no one, no, really, you know, we're not taught how to do that. I think that's yeah. a really, um, a really interesting point that you made there with regards to just how animators, generally speaking, we tend, we tend to be very like, I, I, cause I agree with that. I feel like I, I see that pattern in a lot of my friends who, who are animators, who, who are, they have attention to detail for sure, because they, they wouldn't be good at their jobs if they didn't have that. But it's funny how a lot of that is dedicated to examining the other and understanding yes. them yeah. as opposed to looking internally. Cause I mean, I really resonated this idea of, of, of like, I, I like routines. I really struggle with, with being disciplined with any kind of routine. And like you talked about how you were getting up, you would, you wake up, you'd roll out of bed and then you just start working right away. I feel like for me, things get so blurry that I, I, I try to do those things too, but not necessarily in the right order. You know what I mean? It's almost like, <laughs> I'm kind of like, am I, am I just working from bed now? Like, I mean, it's, it's interesting how it just sort of blends together when mm -hmm. you are just working out of your home. Like it, it ends up being very difficult yeah. to just compartmentalized. So uh, Brent, were you able to, were you able to do sort of what David did is start to, um, partition your day more effectively? Have you started nope. to do that or is it just still mush pit? It's a, it's a complete mushy. I mean, I'm, it's not entirely true. I had to have a bit of a routine, but it's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, like I'm, I've always been a night owl. So I have a tendency of like when, when the family goes to bed, I just end up I just don't stop. I'm just doing yeah, stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, even if I'm not doing anything in particular, I'm thinking about stuff like all the time. And so, it, but I don't mind it. Cause I actually really like that. It's just who I am. I tend to always mm -hmm. be thinking about mm -hmm. things. So I, it, I don't feel like it depresses me, but I do feel like it, it disconnects me a little bit from just from everybody else. Like I feel like I'm becoming a, more and more a hermit and yeah. I shower less and less. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I, I think that that's, that's what I'm talking about. The forest, like, when you live in a city, you can be like, okay, I'm going to go out for a drink. I'll go to a co coffee shop. You just, you do have yeah. external stimulation in a different yep. way. That's more human and more accountable. I think yep. Um, yep. that hermit, that hermit mode can really, to me, kick it. Obviously you can do that when there's people all around you, if you just really start to disengage. But as mm -hmm. when you're animators and you're, you're, you're always observing people, um, I feel like you, it becomes a dry well very quickly. And, and mm. I think it's just something you really, I don't consider the country to necessarily be the place to, uh, to fuel inspiration unless you're ready for it or unless you make mm -hmm. that space for it. I think it has to be for me, an active choice. Like I'm going out here to be, to pay attention. Um, yeah. you know, it has, to me, it has to be a bit active. I don't think it just happens by osmosis necessarily. Mm. So how was the, uh, so you went from freelancing uh, home, having a hard time to kind of establish the, this, mm -hmm. uh, this line to having your own studio and being in the office and then COVID arrived and you have to go back home. So how was this mm -hmm. transition back <laughs> for you in early 2020? I actually never stopped coming into the studio because this studio space, we share it with another company. And there, I think there's like, 
enough space for 200 people or something like that. I don't mm. know. It's huge. It's huge. Maybe it's only 150. I, anyways, um, but I think I didn't stop coming in because all of them were, they were all staying home. Mm. So I was like, this place is safer than the grocery store. I don't know. Like if, <laughs> if it was, there was no one here. Um, and so for me, it was great. Cause I, I, I could, I could make the environment really more my vibe. Um, so I really actually, it didn't affect me in that way. Um, I'm fine working from home. I don't mind working from home. I don't have the best setup at home though. Cause I'm kind of hunched down at this little table and it's not, it, it doesn't, and I don't have like my instruments there and everything. So it's not my favorite place to work anymore. I, I've definitely put that separation, which I was really afraid of at first. I was really nervous that having to go to the studio, cause it's a bit of a walk. It's about a 20 minute walk to get to the mm -hmm. studio, but I, I find it's great. Like I don't work as often at late at night anymore as I used to, because I have to walk here. So I won't mm -hmm. just work until I'm exhausted and then fall asleep. But anyways, the, yeah, the pandemic didn't really keep me from the studio, but it kept everyone else out of the studio, mm. which, which in some ways was, was great at first. And then in other ways, because it was like, yeah, I got this whole space. It's awesome. Yeah. And no interruptions. It's amazing. Um, the downside of it though. And I think that that's where we're going to see, I think there's, we're probably going to see a hybrid model of how people yeah, work now. You know, sure. like the idea of the idea, like if you're commuting 45 minutes to two, hour and a half a day, that's a huge amount of self-care time that you could be taking out of a week, like to, to work out or go for a walk. And that's a lot of time that people didn't have, but, and you only need that like three or four days a week to, to be, to be good. So like, but at the same time, it's really interesting. And I'd be interested to know what you guys think about this too, is like when I sit with another artist and we work on a shot together, if I'm sitting with them, we make a ton of progress and we have all these discoveries and we kind of, because I'm very technical too. So I'll, I'll understand kind of I can suggest technical solutions that will then create a chain reaction of like, oh yeah, this, this, and this. But if I'm just receiving, you know, screenshots or like I'm receiving, just receiving drafts, I, it's, it's much less intuitive of how to give feedback on that and to how to contribute. Cause now I'm, I'm more looking at this like finished thing and I'm not part of the process in the same way. And I think yeah. that that's like, to me, that's a big thing we're losing by being at home so much is that, that, that kind of sitting down and actually working together and brainstorming in a physical space because we read body language, we smell, I mean, obviously all animators, we don't all smell great, but there's something about being in the Especially same me room. me if I don't shower. Exactly, exactly. It depends on the day, depends on the, the deadline. But there's something very different about being in a room with people and, and riffing. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I put it a lot, because I, like I said, I was in a band it's so much to me like jamming, you know, if you're in a band and you're jamming, like I would hate to be in a band jamming over webcam and like mm -hmm. trying to write music, you know, yeah. it just doesn't, the energy doesn't work the same. It's just weird. Yeah. We tried it. Actually, I was working when we, we were talking about Harry Hill, I was working on music for Harry Hill um, with uh, Tyler Fitzmaurice, who's the head of Audio Cora that we're working with. And he was in Winnipeg at the time. And we were trying to do these live mixing sessions where, where we were basically doing what we're doing here. And we had Pro Tools open. It was doing this live sync thing. And it was cool. We made it work, but it wasn't the same as being in the room with him, having a beer, hanging out, and yeah. really just feeling the space yeah. and oh, you know, having instruments to look over and be like, oh, let's here, let's try this thing. And it, it yeah. just lost all of that. So, Yeah, I agree. I'm wondering if it's really because it's it's 
less efficient or it's because it's completely new and we've been, you know, for entire life used to we're communicating this way, we're taking those subtle cues this way. Because for me, having, let's say, a meeting that's going to be more about, you know, management recaps, basically sharing information. We just need to make sure that this information is in mm -hmm. everyone's brain. That is, it, it's fine, uh, it, it getting used to it. But brainstorm and having just, you know, uh, and, and even brainstorming with one person, not too bad. With two, it's fine. We try some brainstorm with six people. That would be like very easy in a small room that we would just, you know, riff on ideas and sometimes, okay, those two are in their own bubble and they talk for two minutes and then they come back and it's a very fluid conversation. Mm -hmm. We tried that on Zoom. It, it's a nightmare. It, it just yeah. doesn't work because it has very, it's as if you were brainstorming that you have like six chair in a circle and there's one mic and you pass the mic and everyone is waiting for their turn and you don't because... You know, just yeah. the way the sound and audio is working. You cannot be three people work, talking at the same time. It could work in, in a real environment because, you know, depending on the distance and how close and those sub-conversations just appear, come and go. But like this, it's... So I think it's fine for some type of conversation mm -hmm. uh, or exchange or communication in general. And for others that are more yeah. creative and free flow and all that, it's super yeah. difficult. I, I find that the it, for me it has a lot to do with just the lack of of being able to pick up on people's body language accurately like yeah. it's like when you're like it, and, and I really believe in auras like this idea of people have certain energies and it's infectious if you're in a room with people who have positive energy that's like yours and it's just it's electric it's like it's mm -hmm. never the same when you're not there like but when you're there yeah. like when I started going into work recently I didn't I I'd almost convinced myself that, yeah, like, I mean, I, I can, I feel like working from home is fine and it is fine, but it's not the same. And it's, and no. it, it can't replace having those kind of brainstorming sessions in person with people, you know, like it just does not, it, I, I felt like, I felt the best I had felt um, for so long, just being in the office with some people that were like-minded, excited to brainstorm and to think creatively. It was, it was electric and it felt really good. So you can't, it can't be replaced, but so hybrid is going to be the key, I think, moving forward for sure. Yeah. And, I even and think besides, Go ahead, I, was, I was just going to say too, like, so it's funny that you were in this big, huge space by yourself. At, what, at some point, did you start feeling like you were maybe Will Smith and I am legend where like, it was like, <laughs> you're living in this like post-apocalyptic world and this whole pad is yours now. Okay. That's yeah. cool for maybe a couple of weeks. And then it's like, suddenly it's not so cool because it's only really fun when you share it with people, you know? Yeah, there is that element. I mean, I was doing, I was, I was running laps around the place to get exercise. Just, you know, I didn't have the treadmill with my dog on it, sure. and my shirt off and my big muscles like Will Smith, but I definitely, um, you, I, I do feel like there, it does lack that energy. And I think there's something about, you know, with the metaverse that Facebook wants to do and all this interesting stuff. I do feel like there, this, this kind of this idea of VR and being able to put on a helmet and be able to have anywhere near the social experience. Like yeah. obviously you can have some kind of kind of social experience, and especially we're not digital natives in the way that um, the, all the people behind us, like 10 years, 20 years younger than us have been immersed in this. So maybe what we're talking about fits more for us, but I do think I, I'm, I'm theoretically, I believe that you, there is so much more to interacting with people that re rejuvenates us and energizes mm -hmm. us. Like mm -hmm. obviously not everybody. I think even introverts need to have a little bit of energy filled, you know, something fill into them. But all I'm saying is that, you know, this idea of having VR and 
even it's a superficial um, it's a superficial account of what human interaction needs to be. The idea mm -hmm. that we could ever just put something on, and even if we solved like what you're saying, David, with the you can't talk in little pockets, and and I mm -hmm. agree with you. It's, it's like at any party, you don't all just stand in a circle looking at each other, <laughs> waiting for each other to talk. That's not how parties work. Like they, they there becomes a din, you know, and there becomes like uh, you're kind of spontaneously bump bopping around like little molecules in a room. And the thing is, is you can't do that. But even if you could do that in a VR space, I'm still skeptical that it would be as fulfilling or as stimulating or would have the kind of uh, the, the natural entropy of what a real space would have to stimulate real. You know, it's like everything we do at the studio, we incorporate natural elements like that's just when we everything, every animation we do, every project, it's like things come from hand-painted stuff, you know, we scan things, take photographs, like ref constantly reference the real world, trying to get that kind of humanity back into things. And which is why CG animation sucked for so long is it was so mathematical and it was like so hard to get that, that human element. And now, you know, that's been overcome with so much technology and so much work and knowledge, but yeah, that's yeah. that's such an amazing segue to what I wanted to get into, like, because you've been doing this CG art thing for quite a while. As a matter of fact, fun fact, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, and hopefully our, our <laughs> information is correct on the website, but um, you you started with Power Animator. Is oh. that, was that your first foray into digital 3D? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and man. even before that, I was using this thing, Autodesk Animator, uh, which was oh, yeah. even before that. And that was just yep. 2D, the, yep. you know. Pixel based. I think it was late '80s, early '90s that came out. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I still I, have the yeah. textbook from that that software. It's, uh, it's really. It's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish it's, I could uh, find that because I, I did so many animations on that thing when I was a little kid, and I used to just mm -hmm. draw with a mouse. It's like drawing. It's like trying to draw with a bar of soap. You know, you're just like, yeah, it's the <laughs> totally. worst. It's the worst drawing experience yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Yeah. So just for those for those who aren't like ancient fossils like the three of us, um, Power <laughs> Animator actually um, was uh, designed by a company in Toronto called Alias. Um, and uh, Wavefront um, was a different software. They, those two companies merged and Maya was born out of that merger, just FYI. So yes. what we're talking about here, it predates Maya. It's quite, uh, yeah. quite a ways back, yeah. Yeah. So did you feel like, what was that like? Because I mean, like, because you started with this, but it feels like, because the way you were describing 3D and how a lot of it just sort of sucks, it feels like a lot of it you attribute to this sort of lifeless, soulless sort of art that sometimes tends to get created out of out of 3D versus like, you know, something's more organic and much more, um, you know, I guess, uh, full, yeah. full, full of life. Like, how did you like, I'm curious how your, 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 your uh, creative process started uh, with regards to using software that wasn't necessarily shining um, in, in, in those kind of ways. Yeah, this is good. You know, it's interesting because I don't think I actually think that the 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 reason well, I, mean, I won't say the reason, but m the the software at the time, it was it was so much about the software. It was like the tool was everything because the tool couldn't really do much. I think that's the as much as we you know, there was a lot of cool 3D stuff that was done in the 80s, even in the 70s. There was interesting stuff being done, but it it just took monumental efforts and a huge amount. Of, you needed to be more of an, a programming engineer to actually be able to do anything significant. It just wasn't, uh, there just wasn't that much to, for artists to do in those platforms. So for me, a lot of that stuff was the, the experimental. I, I was mostly experimenting and doing odd little things here and there. And I don't, I just don't think that the, 
the software at the time had the fidelity to capture mm. enough of the nuance that makes mm. the world that we perceive as complex and chaotic. Uh, it, there just wasn't the resolution. And I mean that in everything, like, you know, whether it's, I don't just mean pixels. I obviously, I mean like the capacity for the program to execute so many different variations of yeah. simulation and cloth and bone and all this stuff. So the less of that you have, the more rigid what you're making is. And unless you really understand that tool, so you'll see, I feel like you see a lot of stuff now, which is really cool, where people will make super retro animations. But what they're doing is they're taking, you know, decades of, I would say almost inherited computer knowledge and art, and they're able to like apply that to a tool that we were just learning how to use. So we didn't even mm -hmm. know how to use it well most of the time. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of early CG art, it doesn't look great because it wasn't artists using it a lot or people that had True. a lot of experience to know how to use the limits of the tool, right? They were, yeah. they were more just discovering it. But I still argue today is like, I see those old bitmap game, bitmap games, you know, or the old LucasArts games, or the old, you know, the Sierra games, and they still look kind of strangely eerie and beautiful today. And they were just done in pixels because the color and the placement and everything was a very artistic process. They had, there'd already been 10 or 20 years of pixel art being done. So a lot of knowledge was happening there. So they, every, every I think the birth of all technology, I feel like that was VR too, is that you, we just don't understand the best way to utilize it initially. You have the greatest artists in the world working on this stuff, but it doesn't necessarily translate to a viable experience when you're, when you're in a different technology, you know? And I think that's, that would, when they first, at least my understanding of when they first had film, I just learned this recently is it, it, it took them decades before someone ever did a cut, like before they actually would do action in a room. Like let's say I walk in the room, they would film the whole action. Guy walks in the room, looks around, picks something up, something, something happens. They never cut, they never did a close up, and it only happened by accident that someone did it because they hmm. thought it would break the break people's <clears throat> brains. Essentially they would lose um, what's it called? coherence they would be like oh what what's how did i yeah. teleport to this person's face yeah and yeah they know they didn't think it was possible and so it wasn't until someone accidentally did it and they saw it happen more and more that people were like oh wait we don't have to show the people get off the horse and walk all the we can just show them <laughs> hop off and cut to something else and our brains stitch all the rest together and yeah. yeah, so it's really it's really interesting. And I think until we really look at technology through, and it's the same thing when we were talking about working from home, at least in my mind, is until we look at like, how does the human brain perceive reality? What information do we really need mm. to give it? And where yeah. are we wasting our time? Where are we filling in all these details that don't need to be yep. there to actually make the experience more? They're doing it in game engines all the time, right? They're doing that stuff now where yep. they actually will do textures will decrease in, in quality as they get further yep. from the center of the screen or yep. center of LOD. focus. Yeah, it's like this dynamic focus shifting. And if you yep. actually took a snapshot of the screen and looked at it, it's like looks like shit everywhere except oh, yeah. in this, these main areas. But as yep. far as our eyes are concerned, that's all that's where we need it, right? They're even experimenting with technology now where they eye track in VR and then yeah. do that LOD based on where you're looking and then exactly. make everything else look garbage. So it's it's actually yeah like iris directed um because they're trying to simulate exactly that it's a more realistic and b um not overstimulating, uh, which could help yeah. a little bit with motion sickness and then mm. c it's also theoretically better for processing power because you're Absolutely. able to sort of save some of that um um that you would otherwise just be wasting on stuff that the player's not even looking at exactly the only, the only real i think the downside of all that stuff is how do we archive that you know when when we look mm. at 
when we look at film stills or paintings, we there's you can kind of observe them as a piece of art or like a, a piece on itself. But when you look at something that's been in you know uh, optimized into through an AI system, everybody's image is going to look different, and you're going to see a, a forced point of focus where your interest may not lie where that. I, I just it becomes this thing where you're. It, VR is one of those scary things for me as a filmmaker because mm. it's sort of like, how does that, how do we take that experience into the future mm. where people can, you don't, you don't need the same headset. I mean, I guess they've done it with video games. We've found ways to bring the old games back and kind of keep these. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it, I just feel like it's different than film because it's hard to, because uh, we're working on VR stuff right now in the studio. And I just, it kind of, I'm less, I'm interested in VR as a tool and I'm less interested in it as like, as a medium oh, okay. for artwork, I, I think it's yeah. totally valid. But as a creator myself, I'm still working on the language of filmmaking and trying yeah, yeah. to like understand that. And then, and we've been seeing the language of VR is totally different. It's as big as the leap from theater to film. Yeah. You know, it's, well, exactly. To to your point, I feel that this is exactly where we're at. We didn't discover the cut yet of the old mm -hmm. cinema and we feel that oh this is like film mm -hmm. theater so just like in theater yeah. there's no cut so we need to show everything and we didn't fully understand the potential of vr yet in this type for this type yeah. of entertainment so we kind of try to apply what worked with uh movies i mean not technically but more like in terms of storytelling and, and all that and eventually we'll realize that no movies are great for this video game are great for this and vr experience will be great for this kind of new uh and i feel i'm under the impression that we did not find it yet uh, no i feel like that too. vr is still not mainstream yes there's some yeah. hardware uh, that is missing. I mean, you still see a little bit, of, uh, unless you have a three thousand uh, dollars headset that is hooked on a powerful computer. You, you don't have with the uh, the, uh, the the Rift, uh, the Oculus Rift, for instance, the experience that can have you immerse in this environment for hours, and you're not going to be, you're not mm -hmm. going to have a headache when you get uh, out of there. Yeah. So I think there's the hardware part, but there's also the what should we really do with uh, with it, which is part of why it's not mainstream yet. Yeah, I think that's one. That's an interesting thing. I almost feel like, in some ways, just off the top of my head, but I feel like it may replace mushrooms and you know, mushroom trips and acid trips. Like the idea that there may be a non-linear, more rat, something that actually met, you know, what, like what we were talking about forests earlier, if you're in the right headspace, the amount of, of self, I guess I, I hate saying it, but like self-love or self-appreciation or even feeling that you belong in the world can happen in, in a forest if you're receptive to it. And I think that happens in great film and great art is it can, it can actually bring you to a different level of self-awareness where you're seeing, you're almost looking at yourself in third person and the world, it's all clicking in a different way. And I almost think that with VR, we could find a faster path or a more efficient path to that headspace. You know, like maybe we don't need to, you know, self-medicate with booze so much, or maybe like, maybe yeah. there's things in it that are, that I would say are more of a fast track to this, to what it takes a lot more work for a movie to do or a piece of art yeah. to do or even music to do, right? So maybe there's uh, something there, but we're just not there yet. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. And one of the the kind of experience I thought about when, when I first uh, tried VR is there's a, 
don't remember what was the name. I think the technology was called Pulsar or something like that, but it's basically mm -hmm. in one of those spa salons. And it's basically they put, uh, you have like, it's not VR, but it's like glasses and it's just flash of lights and you have mm -hmm. sound. And, and then the sound that you hear from the right here, the left here, or different sound. Basically, it just messes your brain. You have colors and you have that. You have this for 15 minutes. You get out of that the amount of endorphin and serotonin mm -hmm. that you have. You're just hovering on the ground mm -hmm. because it's it, cool. it's almost like as it's the equivalent of like six hours of deep meditation or something like that. Yeah. What it does to the brain, it just yeah. force your brain to think about nothing for 10, 15 minutes. And then when you get yeah. out of there, it's the same feeling of when you go in the extreme hot, cold, and, you know, with uh, all the other things and yeah. all that. So I think that what you mentioned is something that we're going to recognize that, okay, it might not be the best medium for a short film, let, let, let's say, mm -hmm. but it can be amazing for those kind of... Uh, experience that some would describe as, you know, an acid trip or meditation yeah. or, you know, being yeah. just in the focus and one with, with it. Uh, it. It might be one of the things that could be interesting. Sort of like it's a good place to, it's a good way of maybe recreating experiences as opposed to mm -hmm. like a narrative sort of story, for instance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It, we had a stream, not so it was a couple weeks ago. We actually had a friend of mine on who, I don't know if you caught that at all, Daniel, but he, he's, a, he's a local. His name's Jeff Malloway and he's, uh, He's, he, he built a non-for-profit company called Super Sublime. And basically the idea is he works with a lot of elderly patients and a lot of people in um, palliative care. And he's going to places that they wish that they could go back to or wish they could go for the first time, capture this in 360, master it for a VR experience, and then put these VR headsets on these people that it might be their first time even in VR. And mm -hmm. like there was something very magical that happened when you see them like, like absorb the closest thing to that experience that they could possibly get because they're capturing 3d audio as well and yeah. it's all mastered and there's all these other sound effects that are layered in to make it a bit more full but like it's uh it's very provocative and it's uh it's a pretty inspiring story but i think that what i like right now is that people are pioneering in that space yeah. and they're yeah. trying mm -hmm. different things and like you said they, they haven't found it yet but they're starting to th see things there's connections being made right now as to things that work and things that just don't yeah yeah, and, yeah, and I think the narrative there, there's no any narrative, you know, line. It's just you just observe, and just as yeah. you mentioned, then you're in the forest. There's not enough there, so your imagination kind of fill the gap. Maybe yeah. more of those super passive but beautiful landscape that you will have nothing. There, there's no point of focus anywhere, but you can mm -hmm. just observe everything and then make your yeah. own story of why, why this, what happened there, and all that. Yeah, maybe that like, this is where it's going. Like, yeah, I don't know and you I, gave it, but. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Daniel. No, go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Brent. Go ahead. I was just, I was just gonna say that uh, I don't know about you, David, but I think if if we could somehow create a three D space of one of these worlds that Daniel seems to create on a regular basis, and then just be able to transport yourself there and be like, it's like every you guys remember the movie The Cell? Yes. Was yeah. With, um, yeah. So it's. You know what I mean? Okay. And I'm not trying to say that you're crazy. I'm just saying that like to be able to travel into someone's mind, maybe I am, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is passive aggressive attack. I don't know. But basically <laughs> to be able to transport and be kind of living, because that's how I always feel like I've seen like you, I don't know if you've ever experienced Quill. Quill is a, yeah, um, yeah, it's a way of, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So Quill has also like a theater. So you can experience these creations that people that are making mm -hmm. these experience, these experiences in 3D are doing. And it always feels like it's something different about being, it's like, you. I feel like I'm sharing your workshop, your virtual mm -hmm. space. Like I'm there visiting you and seeing what you've made in person. I mean, it doesn't feel exactly like that, but it, there's yeah. something that feels very, 
I don't know. It's, it's mysterious. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. I, it's, it's more, it's more tactile. Like it's, 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 yeah. I, I can't yeah. really describe it, but as opposed to just seeing it on a flat TV screen or even in 3d, like in a 3d engine and navigating yeah. around using the AWSD keys or, or, or my joystick being able to like feel like I'm in it because parallax is, is, is yeah. for, it's something special. I don't know. It is something yeah. special. I think that's something I want to make sure too, is to clarify is I think VR as I think there's brilliant VR games and a lot of VR content oh, is yeah. just amazing right i just think that the the tool itself is still it has another dimension to offer that we haven't we haven't maximized totally. yet because i mean totally i agree, agree with you i was playing um i was playing well it made me really super sick but i was playing squadrons star wars squadrons oh and yeah I tried oh, it on man. the vr and oh, just yeah. sitting inside of the cockpit of an x and a-wing exactly. or a tie fighter I was I just know. like, I was so fucked up because also the time I, I was sitting in, I'm like, man, I would be dead in this little tin box. It's a little <laughs> tin box with a I little know. window. Like, there's no wonder these guys suck at everything. You can't yeah. see anything. <laughs> and I was thinking too, it's like, what shitty technology? Oh, because like, yeah. why wouldn't you have like projections of outside of space so you can see yeah. all around yeah, yeah. the 360? But yeah. instead, it's like, it literally looks like the gunner I love at it. the bottom of a B-17 and you see this. Totally. Yeah. But, That's so but funny. It it's like crazy. It required you to sit in a TIE fighter to suddenly realize, oh, that's why the Death Star exploded. I totally yeah, get it. Yeah, exactly. You're like, this is not this ergonomic is, this is at all. This is so broken. This is so broken. I'm like, this is terrible. Like, how could anyone survive anything in this piece of crap? And it's funny that's because, amazing. like, it, it's in film, you're always looking at everything through with one eye yep. closed and through yep. sort of this, like, little cutout box, totally. which is more like, uh, which I think is really powerful because you can really control what you <clears> see and don't see. So totally. you, there's, there's this, you're an omniscient present as a presence, as a viewer of cinema, you know, like, yep. and the the greatest cinema kind of sucks you in. And before you realize it, you've, you're lost inside the world because your brain is yep. filling up everything around you. Exactly. But it's all exactly. being driven by this little square. VR yep. is different. And I, I, there's something there's, but where's that, uh, anal- you know, that analogous experience. I'm not sure, but there's something cool yep. there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like you're, it's like the, the world that you see in cinema is the director's small portal of what they want you to know about that world, which can be very powerful narratively, right? You can explain a very specific narrative by yeah. only showing and re- it's because sometimes it's more important what you don't show, you know exactly. what I mean? Because you don't be distracted by a bunch of things that are important. I would Whereas agree with you VR, in film, it's all about what you don't show. Yeah, exactly. VR, and so yeah. now it's really leverage the other one. It's almost more like rather than seeing, seeing the world that, that you want me to see, I'm seeing the world as it truly is, perhaps, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine mm-hmm. that being a bit of a nightmare to create an experience that, that that's it's compelling mm-hmm. enough that feels like I'm able to do that in a way that I really feel like I'm in a world. But there is something there that could possibly be, um, I don't know, we'll see. We'll see where it all goes. Yeah. I'm excited, though. So, Dan, speaking of VR, obviously one of the very trendy topics these days is the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the metaverse. Mm-hmm. I'm curious with your, your <laughs> because you're you're one of the most creative and technical person that I know, both in one body. So I'm super curious. I'm sure you already had some thoughts about about it. The, about the matter, you know, I I think I have a harder time with it just because it's, it's Facebook, I suppose. Like <laughs> yeah, everyone says, I, that. I have I do have this. Um, there's just there, yeah. There's something I, I'm not really excited about how disembodied as as a culture we're starting to be we're, we're mm. I, I just feel like there's so much more we could be doing to be connecting with ourselves and mm. and I, I mean like it's really hard it's hard for me to articulate because I don't want to get all philosophical and everything but 
through this time of pandemic, through the increased use of social media, through the increased power of advertising, how much are our how the algorithms that drive the content that we're exposed to on a regular basis, there's this optimi optimization of the human experience, which I think is, is it's, an, it's a hyper simplified version of what we think people need, which reminds me of the nutrition movement back in the 50s when they thought science would replace food. And then we realized like, oh shit, we were replacing it all with carcinogens and stuff we didn't even, that, that we now we find out is all bad for us. Like they... They, they, they distilled the needs of the human body down to these basic nutrients by driven by science. And now we're realizing how complex the gut microbe, the, the gut biome is and how it has an influence mm -hmm. on your immune system and on your mood, which everyone knew, you know, when you're hangry or you eat like crap all day you, and you're, you're an ornery bastard. It, it now we understand that there's actually a science behind that, but we are only starting to really understand that. And, and so what's really interesting to me is I feel like this whole idea of, a hyper simplified uh, curated version of reality by I would say a profit driven organizations. Yeah. I'm not optimistic that that's going to be necessarily enlightening or very well, beneficial in a humanist way, because I don't think yeah. it's a value for them for to, uh, for us to be self-fulfilled. It's more important that we reach out to them to find fulfillment. So I totally I, I, agree. Yeah, that's it's, why it's I think a pity again, almost. It is, a tool. it is. Yeah, it is a pity. Because it could be something quite exciting and almost yeah. like bringing the human experience to a whole new era. But we, their track record is garbage when it comes to like what, like how leveraging this very so. I mean, think of what Facebook, there's a lot of great that can happen that has happened on Facebook. Let's, let's face yeah. it. Like it does connect people. It does allow people to stay in contact with another, uh, one another. And, and like, it, it allows people like, it's all kinds of good, but we, we know from, we know too much now because of too many, too many leaks coming out of that company that although it could trying to to be good in some ways it's also really just trying to operate and make money and they don't really care at the end of the day about well, us and, and our well you know what that's okay because i think that I'm on, I'm on this like kick lately it's of about empathy and compassion and i have this thing which it gets back to the forest as i had this realization one time when i was walking out in the woods and i saw this lichen that was growing on the side of a tree and it, it was because there's these complex communities of lichens all mm -hmm. growing on trees i was just staring at them and staring at them and i realized i had this thing where i'm like you know the meaning of life is just mm -hmm. to live and then I was thinking about, because we used to get bears and the bears would get in the garbage all the time. And, mm. and, and what you would do is instead of blaming the bear for getting in the garbage, you'd be like, oh, that idiot bear, don't eat the garbage. You're just like, well, of course it's going to eat the garbage. It's mm -hmm. a bear. So why would I create a situation where that bear is getting in the garbage? And I feel that way with like, with human beings, if we were more sympathetic to the fact that we're living organisms in the world and that we have predispositions to behaviors and patterns that are part of our biological makeup, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be so harsh on ourselves and expect ourselves to be so self-controlled and so disciplined. Like all these, like, I, 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 why wouldn't Facebook be a capitalist profit, profit driven system? That's what it is. Totally. That's what do you know like yep. when you get big enough you don't count your friends by the millions you count your friends by the tens that's what regular people do and when you get mm -hmm. to such a big level of course the world looks different humans look different so to expect that a corporation would have my best interests is an illusion and i should yeah. never have that expectation i should go in totally. those things recognizing that the good experiences I'm going to have in any platform is, are the experiences that I bring with me and with the peers and the people that are close to me, what we do in it, knowing that that room we walk into is not a hundred percent safe place. We have mm -hmm. to always know that it's a human created place that was designed for profit.
you know, it wasn't, or it may had, they might've had great intentions, just like art. It's like art, you know, we, we, you, you can't make perfectly personal artwork cause it doesn't sell. So yeah. there's, you can, like, maybe you're lucky, but the, you need, when we have a conversation, we try to use words that we connect with each other. I don't just use my own language, right? Cause otherwise I'm not saying anything to you. I'm not just like talking and gibberish and like, unless that's the point. So I think there's just something about the need to connect. And if we want to connect with people, we have to shift the way we interact and we, we engage. And I think it's normal to need to sell and need to connect. And these companies, they need people to use them because if they don't, they, they can't grow. Yeah. And, you know, anyway, so I just yeah. take that at face value that of course that place is going to be exploitative in some way. There's going to be great stuff in there, but you have to go in there knowing that it's not designed to fulfill me as a human. It's designed to sell products. So well, yeah. I think it's going to be very interesting also to see the different because the Facebook have been so have been so public in their announcement uh, mm -hmm. and they're even taking the name like Meta is now there. So there's a lot of people that are under the impression that, oh, the metaverse is Facebook and that's mm. it. Well, no, they're building their own space within. Yep. And, you know, if and by the way, I'm sure that five years from now, the term metaverse mm. itself will be super dated and we'll be like, oh, do you remember <laughs> when we we're saying it's the the highway of information? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the, right. The Internet is going to be what the, the, the hell is the, the internet? thing. But it would be as if we say, oh, Facebook is going to own Internet. No, they're going to be mm. the biggest social media. On, but, you know, mm -hmm. I think Megaverse will be a and um, what is Epic going to create in there? What is Microsoft going to create in there? What are nonprofits organism are going to create yeah. in there? Mm -hmm. How can you move from one to the other? Which one is completely free and open? Which yep. one is owned by a corporation? That That's going to be very interesting uh, mm -hmm. to see how it evolves. Because I can only imagine that just like Facebook is doing now, uh, yes, they're collecting a shitload of data, but it's a free product that's mm -hmm. the price to pay yeah. you don't you yeah, pay yeah. for it by your totally. own information that that's a trade-off that, that you have so what is going to be that trade-off in this new uh, uh world if some are actually spending a lot of their time in those virtual environments i think i think that's the thing you have to think about when you use anything that's a free tool is or mm -hmm. a free anything it's like what's why is it free like who mm -hmm. who's paying because you know somebody has to keep the heats on in the company so why is this free and and i think as long as you're aware to ask that question you can't mm -hmm. be exploited as easily because i i don't want to i don't want to disparage i think there's brilliant engineers at facebook i think the technology and the stuff that they're doing and the things they're creating i think there's i think there's probably a lot of people with the best intentions and you know that's oh, for they're, sure they're, they're creators, they're engineers, inventors. So these are, are wonderful people with, with I, say, I would say, the purest aspirations. Um, but large corporations don't function that way. And, that's, and no large body does. So, you know, it's, I think I agree with you. There's tons of potential. And we just have to be aware of what we're exchanging when we want to use that potential for free in, this, in the society structure, economic structure we have today. You know? Yeah. Your thoughts on uh, NFTs? <laughs> have you guys done any of those yet? No, no, we've been looking into it. We've been looking into it. It doesn't seem I've watched a bunch of stuff um, on NFTs. I'm sure a lot of you have. Um, it's we even talked to a uh, financial analyst about them. I think that's what the, the role of that individual was. But essentially what it seems to me an NFT is valuable if you have a strong social following mm -hmm. because you basically yeah, have exactly. To, 
Yeah, there's no other way to validate the, well, valid, create the value behind your work without a whole bunch yeah. of people saying it's worth something. No. No, no real life painting has any value if it's coming from an artist that no one knows. Exactly. That, exactly. That's, yeah. that's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. People, they, they, that's, that's the part a lot of people don't, they don't get the backstory, right? They hear just about this guy who sold some, some NFTs for millions of dollars. Um, and, uh, they were sold in, um, oh, what the hell is that auction house in, in the States? A uh, really popular one. The, doesn't oh, matter. Christie's Christie's. So basically that was a sensation, right? And everyone's talking about how you can make all this money, but like what they don't talk about enough is that Beeple has been around for years and years and years, a prolific digital artist who had a gigantic following. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, the way that some people see it is that he's just finally cashing in on those years and years of branding. Um, but I mean, so not just anybody showing up expecting to make that kind of coin, I don't know. I don't know. I really feel like you, like you said, it really, it, that's part of the recipe. You need to have some yeah. sort of presence. Well, you need yeah. a story. I think that's a big thing we always talk about here is that, that you need a story. People respond to story, you know, people yep. get really frustrated. My dad, you know, he's, he's more of an engineer type and my mom's an artist, but he'll look at something and be like, Oh, who and my kid could paint that. But then you're like, well, your kid <laughs> didn't. And the story of your kid painting <laughs> that isn't that interesting. You know? I like it. It's just like, so you, you're like, you need the backstory. It's like, what, where did this art come from? And obviously yeah. that stuff can be very manufactured, but mm -hmm. you're still, it's funny because when you're, it's funny that we're talking about this because when you're selling an NFT, even with Beeple, it's, you're actually selling the story totally. behind the, the, the NFT yeah. is more, more of a symbol that represents yep. the story of where it came from. So it's like, yep. it's like owning a part of a huge, huge epic story. Exactly. All of the cult, you know, the entire culture's in on, which is, yep. which is interesting. And I think that's where like fan art and all these things, they have value. You know, there's a lot of artists that explode online because they do like, um, you know, they'll do anime characters that, that just don't have much of a, much Western art created around it. And then all of a sudden their people love their work just escalates and escalates because it's like people have already an intrinsic value placed on those characters. Yep. So that artist gets brought up with the value of those characters. So totally. it makes a lot of sense, but you need that. That's why we're not doing it. It's like, we're not really anybody right now. Maybe one day, you know, we'll, but right now it's like, yeah, it doesn't seem worth it for me. Yeah. It's right now. It's a, the wild west of NFTs and you know, it's, it's going up and down and up and down. Um, I mean, the idea of those, you know, smart contract under an, an NFT that you can resell whenever it's mm -hmm. taking value and the original, you know, creator is going to have 10% each time, which means that if you're becoming, there's so many artists that, that became very famous after their death and, you know, their entire the family never had anything. Well, now it would be possible that, you know, for forever, every other generation will kind of benefit from uh, from the uh, artwork of their ancestors. So that's an interesting. Yeah, I uh, love that idea. I love that yeah. idea. That's where you can attach um, stipulations to the sale and all that. And there's yeah. like longevity to a sale. I love that. I just, I still think it's like still quite inaccessible for most artists. For to, sure. You know, trying to get the Bitcoin wallet and actually, yeah. you know, getting the stuff minted, your artwork minted. It's still quite yeah. a, an inaccessible. No, no, it's pretty hard. I mean, I looked into it for about a week and it's like, this is a lot. I don't have the headspace for it right now, but it's, yeah, it's a lot. 
and another dimension to it, of course, when it comes like, to, to be to, to, to achieve its fullest sort of potential, there needs to be the majority of people need to buy into the idea. And that mm -hmm. means that currency needs to be in everyone's pocket. And there's a lot of reasons why a lot of people don't want to jump in environmental impacts being, of course, at the top of some people's list. It was, you know, someone in, in chat was mentioning that. And, you know, yeah. and then, you know, a lot of these companies uh, that are that are developing blockchain technologies are are pivoting and trying to find more green friendly uh, versions of supporting its uh, its, you know, the, the the, the sustainability of the blockchain, but mm -hmm. um, it's still, it's still not necessarily, you know, the adoption rate is still, it's, it's still a very niche group of people that are really investing and driving this. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah. I, lo I love the idea of it. I also, I do Me love too. the idea of decentralizing money and distrib money yep. distribution. The, totally. the downside of it though, is like now the banks are buying all that stuff anyway. So it's that's sort of, true. That's true. You know. Well, and, and the point I always make is it's like, you know, one of the biggest po positive advantages is, yeah, no one's controlling the money. But the mm -hmm. disadvantage is nobody's controlling the money. In other words, where are the police? Where are the people who can yeah. enforce rules and regulations and making yeah. sure that stuff does happens on, you know, on, on the up and up as opposed to some shady dealings? That yes, of course, it's impossible to hack this blockchain, but it doesn't mean that it can't be manipulated in certain ways. And it doesn't mean that what about the rules? Like the classic example I've always said about NFTs is who's stopping like if, if you were to launch a series, let's say tomorrow you're like, screw it. I decided to put out some NFTs and you're going to mint a bunch of things and a limited series and people go buy them. And then you make like a whole pile of money overnight. And you're like, well, I should probably just print more of these. And then you go and make another limited edition series. It's like, who stops? Like, because the idea of scarcity is that like, there's only one Mona Lisa. There's only mm -hmm. one of them, which is why mm -hmm. it's worth so much money. But as soon as it, you know, like so scarcity in like when it comes to our basic understanding of economy, uh, economics of like, you know, supply and demand, it's sort of somehow in my mind, unless there's a regular regulatory body that's controlling this kind of thing, it would suck because what happens if I do decide that I want to invest in buying one of your prints and then it literally devalues overnight because you decided to print more of them. It's like, well, who's stopping you? Nobody. So these are yeah. the kind of things that I have problems with. It's like, it just seems like the wild west right now. People are just making up the rules as they go. And some people are making a lot of money. A lot of people are losing a lot of money at the same time too. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's as if just the idea of creating digital scarcity is amazing, but how it's being used right now, it's still very yeah. new and, and, and naive <laughs> and not, it, not, yeah. It yeah. not mature yet. But like you, you said, know, Daniel... Yeah. The promise is huge. Yeah. The idea of giving people like digital artists a way of literally making a living without having to become a commercial artist, but just mm -hmm. creating what they want to create and then be able to mm -hmm. survive off of that. This in itself is good for everybody. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's... we can easily transport ourselves. Let's say that we're 10 years from now, the metaverse, yes, there's Facebook and all, all those others. And there's a lot of people that do spend a lot of time because the hardware is adequate and you don't have a headache. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's those places like Sandbox and Decentraland that you can walk around and you just have the only piece of art, 3D piece of art animated that you can, that everyone can look in, in uh, VR. And you're the only one that has it. And it's so impressive and so beautiful that you have a lot of people that will actually go there mm -hmm. to see it. That's mm -hmm. the only one because, you know, uh, because you own the uh, NFT. And then they're selling, you know, literally publicity around. So you have, you know, a corporation that will pay you real money to have the visibility of publicity around this unique piece of, mm -hmm. of art. So you can see how there's an entire financial um, 
you know, ecosystem that can be built around those uh, NFT? Because that was one of the main question in the beginning. Well, how do you show an, an NFT? And there, there was a lot of creating creative ways with creating the hardware or, or basically just show the, you know, the, the JPEG or use it as your profile picture. Uh, yeah. But I think that when it's becoming now in a virtual world and you can really experience it, uh, have the proper experience, uh, it might be something that will be very, uh, very real and very interesting and very financially interesting for art collectors to invest into. And I, I, also, I also think on that, le that level is I think NFTs, it's funny that we think it's so new in some ways, because isn't that the, what the Diablo auction house is? Like, isn't that <laughs> all that stuff? It's like all the, all the, yeah. uh, the world of work, like this stuff's actually been around a long time. Is that the, but the, I agree yeah, with yeah. you. And I just, I, I think that you're, this, this is a very interesting point. I've never had, had anyone make this comparison before, but, but it, it, it is worth noting that the world of Warcraft auction house and the Diablo one were both busts and they removed them. Well, mm. I don't know about the Diablo one, but the, uh, the world of Warcraft one for sure is because they started to realize that it's actually not so easy to actually have, because it needs to have a proper economy that, that, yes. that runs it. Yeah. A good example of a game that has a very healthy economy and the whole game runs on it is Eve Online. If anyone's ever mm -hmm. curious, if you like economic-based yeah. games, you need to check out this game. It's very, very impressive because they actually, a lot of their lead level designers or game designers are economists because they yeah. need they knew that they needed people who understand how to stimulate an economy, how to keep it fair so that people mm -hmm. don't feel like they're just getting ripped off all the time. Like it's uh, it's pretty impressive. So it's it, it is isn't new, like you said, but it's also riddled with with previous failures. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we'll that's interesting. It just hasn't. I agree with you, though. It hasn't had the right people involved. Now that the economists yeah. are interested in the bank, these yeah, people with exactly. hundreds of years that was of key. financial yeah. history, um, yep. it, I still think the the idea though of creating value in an infinitely reprintable, reproducible object is is not old. It's it's sorry, it's it's very old, and I very think that. Old. The, the thing is that sucks, you know, your example earlier about what keeps me from printing and selling more and more. Well, if I do do that, my val my, the, the value of my next batch of work goes down and goes down and down and down. That's true. Because I know, yeah, now you no devalue longer, your, own, your own brand. Yeah, you, you, mm -hmm. you extinguish your own value very quickly. It doesn't make it better for the people that got duped mm -hmm. by it the first time. But as far yeah, as your you. sustainability as a creator, it, yeah. you just you, you peter it out real quick. So Never thought there of is that. something self-regulating about it in some yeah. ways too. Mm -hmm. Hey, yeah. um, I just wanted to mention that um, unexpectedly, or sorry, completely expectedly, because I knew this conversation was going to feel like it, I would blink, it would disappear. Uh, we're already uh, about 15 minutes after three. We usually try to leave a little bit of room for people to ask questions. Um, mm. I think there were a couple in there. Uh, hopefully we don't, you don't mind me pivoting a little bit and doing that. And I no, think no, no. I would start with my first question, just because I find it interesting that we didn't, it's, I think it's just because the conversation was so fun. We never even got into some of the background on you. Like, you know, you're an award-winning filmmaker as well. Like it might, you know, it should be, it, it's worth noting that you have done quite a few impressive things. I wanted, maybe just for the sake of some people who don't know your work and what you've done, maybe you could just touch on really quickly some of those films and maybe what you're currently working on just to kind of give people, um, and maybe where they can go to check out some of your work, I think would be awesome. Yeah, sure. I'm sorry. It's funny. We're here to talk about films and we all <laughs> talked about yeah. it, like a lot, <laughs> everything around it. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. It actually suits me just fine. Cause it's, uh, uh, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I we have a lot of our films have been in film festivals, um, mm -hmm. as and they're kind of harder to see because I don't have distribution ownership of yeah. them. So they've been obviously they've been screened all over the place. They've been on the airplane. They've been all over the place. And now I think some of them you can find on the NFB website, um, the NFB site because we did a, a bunch of films for the NFB. Um, so they have a, a few of them. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I should have a more of a list. I mean, the most recent film we did was Giant Bear. Uh, that was the most recent. It, uh, animated short that we did and that one won a canadian screen award um did really well for us um and that one i don't know if you can currently see it anywhere yet because again we don't own the distribution on it but that's that's something that we've been working towards like and that's the film i'm working on now with harry hill we own that one completely that's the one that agora actually helped do the animation on it's taken a long time it's something we wanted to have out a couple of years ago um covid didn't really help um, producing that animation, but also it's it's a style of film that is a complexity we've never ever done before. <laughs> so it's it's destroying my life in many ways, but I'm ex very excited about it because um, we never did full 3D before. So it's it's I find yeah. it interesting that the the, the uh, as an artist, it, it's usually the ones that hurt the most that they're, they're, the, they're the most rewarding, right? The I, most I punishing so. ones. In the yeah. They all seem That's... super punishing. I find every one of them is like, they all feel like this is going to be the worst thing ever made. Like there's these moments where like, this is going to be the best thing we ever made. And then literally five minutes later, like this is the worst thing. It's no, everyone's going to hate it. It sucks. And then just like riding out these lumps of being excited and then being miserable. Yep. And then, you know, and then that's all padded out by just being focused, like trying to solve the problem, of making this goddamn thing. Um, and I think that's like, I don't know. It's worth, so it's worth it's worth noting for context to the chat that uh, Daniel suffers from crippling modesty. Just, just everyone knows. Just, just setting the stage. <laughs> crippling, crippling modesty. Go ahead, David. I, I just wanted to mention that the, it seems that a theme that it we're coming back every week uh, yeah. because we have a bunch of, you know, uh, amazing artists that are uh, often suffering from the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. So just want to share that even if you have your own studio and you're an amazing artist and everything you release mm. is at least well received <laughs> critically in terms of being well executed and beautiful and done. Uh, yeah, so then you, you still have this imposter syndrome with your own art and yeah. feeling this all up and down of it's amazing, I suck, it's amazing, no one likes what we're doing. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's the thing is it's I only find if I look at a film that I've worked on five or six years later, I can finally be like, oh, yeah, you know, it's not that bad. Oh, there's some nice things. There's a naivety to it. There's like, it's kind of a nice <laughs> little package. It works. And I'm not noticing all the problems as much. I can mm. look at it more as though I didn't make it. But I still, I even have this problem as a director. I'm so much more easily impressed by other people's work than my own that I have a tendency to even just like when people are working on shots that I didn't work on, I'd be like, oh, that's awesome. And it takes me a while to realize what's not awesome about the shot. So I'm not really quick at giving feedback because mm -hmm. I will look at it and because I didn't make it, I'm not scrutinizing it on this level of like, of, you know, it, cause I don't know when you make something yourself, it, well, it depends what kind of artist you are, but I feel like there's something just tired about it you, you've been through mm. the whole arc of it and it's totally exciting thing is before it's realized because it's like mm. infinite potential and you're like i'm going to mm. tap all these skills i'm going to learn all this stuff but then learning's hard and nothing comes mm. out the way you want exactly and there's always a million other people especially yeah. now in this era of art station and instagram everybody's better than you everybody's work is like 
I mean, you know, not obviously little kids, it's different, but there's always something and different is often more stimulating. I find people, even people that do like really simple, quaint little things, I find I'm just like, wow, why, you know, why am I not doing stuff like that? Everything I make is complicated and ridiculous. You know, it's, there's always some kind of self-critical thing, you know? Yeah. It's true. Huh? It's almost like the stuff that you, your own stuff you look at and you're like, all you see is, is the stuff that it's not that you wished it could have been, you know, it's like, it's just a, it's like a, um, a moratorium on, on like, it's, it's just, it's, it's, you, you just, you're, it's, you're haunted by the, uh, the, the missed opportunities in your mind. Right. Yeah. And there's nothing special. Like, I think that's true is when you've, when you've witnessed the, the process of making something firsthand, the spectacle, the magic trick is gone because you see all mm -hmm. the wires, right. You're, you're sort of like this, this isn't, you're not discovering something and you're not discovering that thing when you look at it anymore, you already discovered it and dug all the yeah. holes. And you're kind well, of, so I think there's that, that you don't get to, I used to work at a restaurant. I was a dish pig for like three years. I had no ambition, nice. I suppose. And like, it's funny how when I would go to a restaurant, I was just like, Oh my God, it's amazing. Someone's serving me food. And it, it, it was so, because at my own restaurant, I, I, I just, you were so much part of behind the scenes that there felt to be nothing special about that place mm -hmm. whatsoever no matter how prestigious or how amazing the restaurant was, you were just, it, it was just a shitty place you worked. You know, it wasn't, yeah. You were just a dude cleaning dishes, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Brent, I think that would be a pretty good uh, segue to one of the questions that we yeah. that we had from uh, playerpawn underscore zero. I can do that. Um, yeah. Then you briefly mentioned about, you know, going on art station and being either depressed or inspired. Uh, uh by it um so where do you do you get your inspiration in in general well i definitely don't get it from art station or instagram <laughs> <laughs> i think that's I, where you go to get yeah, shamed yeah that's where i go to feel like garbage after and just like oh. <laughs> how old are these people oh you're eight and you can do that amazing <laughs> <laughs> that's great amazing wicked yeah that's <laughs> That's a good did question. Did you just say wicked? You just said wicked. Yeah, I did. Say I've been wicked. trying to bring I'm, that back too. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go yeah. team wicked, I'm, buddy. Go and team wicked. Yeah. yeah. Done. Yeah. We're doing it. Um, that's a good question. I actually, I find most of my inspiration is comes when I sit outside and just draw. I try to draw people and I have this technique um, because I'm super technical and I tend to be um, a little bit uptight, a little bit structural, like very anatomical and stuff like that. Uh, one exercise I found was really good for me was to not look at my paper. It's like rapid blind contour. So instead of, and I'll do it with everything, um, even on the computer when I'm trying to come up with a character, is I'll glance at the paper really quickly and then not look back. And it keeps me, it, I even do stuff where I'm like doing arms and stuff mm -hmm. and I'm just making these looser shapes all the time. And one of the things it does for me is it helps like eradicate that control aspect or that technical aspect of like, this is what an arm looks like. This is what a face. So, so when I draw people, I'll draw them walking. I never draw sitting. I have a hard time drawing sitting models, but I'll draw people walking or sitting and moving their head the whole time and just try to move as quickly as possible. And I find I get some of the most interesting designs from that because it's not, I'm not planning what I'm doing. I'm just reacting to the real world. And I find that really inspiring. I, when I look at other artists, yes, I can be inspired by their technique and what maybe what they did, but it doesn't help me feel necessarily super good about what I'm doing or where I'm at. Because I, I guess I'm just an insecure, jealous person. So, <laughs> well, I just what think about, it's. Oh, go ahead, David. No, go ahead. I was going to say I think I just think it's all just further evidence that no amount 
of recognition, fame, or success will allow anyone to escape that little person that lives inside our head that tells us we suck a little bit. I think (laughs) there's no escape. There's just no escape. And if you want to hear that that same voice amplified with a megaphone, go to places like our station. You'll get that very, very quickly. Exactly. Uh, Dan, I was curious, what about motivation? When you're just at work on a project, you know, unmotivated, you just don't want to be there. Do you just brute force your way through it or you have some either little routine or stuff that you do just to, that can either take a few seconds or a couple of days to get back this motivation? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, cause I, that motivation sinkhole doesn't happen very often to me. I, I lately, um, well for a while it hasn't, but I think that's only because one, I had a kid and then the, the, having a kid gets in the way of the ability to like work something. I'm always interrupted. So I always have these like things I never got to finish seeing all the way through. So I always have this kind of, there's already a momentum of like, oh man, I, I, I was working on this thing. I was almost had it figured out, but I had to put it down. So I'm always coming back to something a lot of the time. Um, when I feel unmotivated is typically when I'm working, especially when I'm working on someone else's project, um, mm-hmm. like in a big project. And I don't mean like when we were doing the game stuff for mm-hmm. when I was working on the game stuff for you, that stuff was like super fun because it's exploration. It's like, but when you get into the tedium of you've done the fun designs and now you're just going through the process of executing, 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 mm-hmm. I think that's where that, that, that hump can happen. And usually for me, um, I, for me that there's two things is definitely, I have to get exercise. Like if I'm really not feeling motivated, I'm not going to force it because I won't do good work and I'll probably make mistakes. So I try to go for a walk. I try to work out or do something to, to like get out of the, the slump because otherwise you just sort of sit there and next thing you know, you're on YouTube. You're actually, and the other thing, which I learned, I think it was quoted from, uh, I can't remember the, I'm not going to misquote, but there was this thing where you set 20 minutes on a stopwatch on your on your computer and you you turn off youtube everything and you just poke that 20 minute thing and you're like okay i'm going to paint for 20 minutes mm-hmm. and you poke go and you don't allow yourself to do anything else and i find that really helps because it contains the amount of time you're going to do something so you're not looking at a giant yeah. wall of time like i need mm-hmm. to do eight hours of blah, blah blah this shitty painting i'm so miserable it's like oh i got to sit and do this for 20 minutes and the next thing you yeah. know you actually that 20 minutes goes by really fast and you made some good progress so those are some things I try for sure, but it doesn't always work. A lot of people, I, I hear a lot of people talking um, like on the, the subject of productivity. And it seems to be a very popular mentality. This idea of like, look, even if it's just five minutes, get yeah. build habits, build habits yeah. of time boxing some time. Cause what it does is it starts to build momentum because then you start to feel the rewards of habitually doing something and mm-hmm. be able to focus for that long on something. And next thing you know, you're doing it for 10 and then 15 and 20 next thing you know, you're able to do multiple hours of sustained focus just because you're sort of like flexing that muscle, like a, like a regular workout routine. You wouldn't start trying to deadlift 250 pounds on day one, right? You got to work your way up to it. And, um, I think it's pretty good advice. Actually, I, I kind of, there's I'll, one thing on that is whenever I talk to people about exercise or working out or anything like that, it's the same thing as I always tell people, don't start working out, just go for a walk. Tell yeah. yourself, I'm going to walk around the block one time. And then that's yeah. what you do. Totally. And often mm-hmm. what happens is same thing with drawing. I, I was that thing about drawing every day. It's super hard to make yourself do it. Just put a piece of paper down in front of yourself. I'm going to draw for five minutes. And you're right. Yep. Next thing you know, you do more. And some days you don't, but at least it's okay. You didn't exactly. set up a goal. You didn't set up pre-de- predetermined 
point of failure every day because you yeah. feel like I'm going to draw every day for an hour for a week. Yeah. You're going to fail at that, you know? Exactly. And then that's not a good way to build momentum. As player Pond Zero points out, the, the I think one of the, the core philosophies behind this sort of technique is called the Pomodoro technique. So if you want to take a look, and there's even apps you can get for Windows or on your phone that allow to simulate this sort of time boxing you might want to look into. So you're, if, you're, if you're a chat looking for something to experiment with to try to make a little, help your focus a little bit, you, you might want to, you know, look into that because it's uh, it really helps a lot Thank of people. Um, I have another question here from Van Animator, um, which is, what was the catalyst exactly going from artist to starting a studio? Does seem like a big leap. What what was the the, the reasoning there behind that decision? I, yeah, I, okay. So I'll be trying to be really quick because I know we're running out of time. I don't think I am. I think I am just now, I would say, qualifying for myself as becoming an artist now. Mm. Um, because for me, I know you guys laugh about it, but that for me, like I, for I've this Harry Hill is the first film that I've kind of written, directed, and actually like mm. that we brought together as our own thing. And it wasn't, I wasn't me collaborating or having, mm. having to be responsive to somebody, um, which obviously will make its failure feel that much worse when it's like <laughs> the, you know, <laughs> all your fault. Um, mm. But anyways, but the, so so the thing is, is like historically, I was always making stuff for, you know, even if I was getting a contract and yeah, I got to be creative and come up with all mm -hmm. the characters. Most of it was driven by a need to create something that I agreed with someone to create. So mm -hmm. the, the whole thing about like going from an artist to a studio is like, I think I started as more of a freelancer making stuff because I used to make videos for my school. Like people would get me to make animated ads in school on these like mm -hmm. in grade school and stuff. I was always making shit for somebody but it was never just making stuff for the sake of making stuff which i think is a little bit different so most of my life i've been in service to other people on a bigger level and even all my homework assignments i turned into animated films so everything was always driven by some kind of deadline and something i had to do um and so i think that's important for art but at the same time i never really other than sketches and doodles got to explore a full artistic vision, at least what I would call that in a really holistic way. So the studio almost was a byproduct of always working on projects for people and those projects getting bigger and bigger, harder to manage and having actually, you know, my partner, uh, Emily, you know, we just work really well together and recognizing our strengths. Like I'm more of the bricklayer and she's really good at actually managing the production and, you know, mm -hmm. and finding those people that help complete the picture. Because I used to do everything in the early days and I would mess up most of it, you know, like, mm -hmm. but the work was good enough that everyone's like, okay, great. We'll put up with all your bullshit as long <laughs> as we do. And it's Amazing. basically on time, you know, because usually, but now that whole studio was required because that's the other thing. If I get sick or anything happens, everything stops when you're a mm -hmm. freelancer, right? So part mm -hmm. of the studio too was like, how do we build something up that can support other people, other artists, mm -hmm. and where I'm not the main driving wheel for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And we have great artists working for us that are better than me. At, and, and I think that that's the thing that's really exciting to me is I'm being replaced in the studio, right. which is amazing. I thought that would, I would hate that. I thought I'd be like, oh man. But now what it means is I'm like actually being able to revisit art again, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. And yep. start to be yep. less about product all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. You don't have to worry about the bottom line. You can just worry about creating. And then that's yeah. when true art can probably happen because it's art for art's sake as opposed to art for putting bread on the table kind of sake, right? Yeah. And I, I think yeah. like because we talked earlier, art is a conversation with your audience. So like if I wanted to be truly and fully indulgent, I would just 
make art and never, no one would ever see it. I'm too vain for that. Like I, I need, like, I need to be acknowledged in some way. So I'm still interested in, in art being a product in some way, but that product being explorations that are fueled by my own curiosities or by the observable, the world that I value is different than being responsive to someone else's needs all the time. Right. Okay. Well, um, it's a lot of information to unpack, but, uh, this has been a very, um, it's <laughs> ending this, with mean, a bang. I knew, I knew this conversation was going to be a deep one. Okay. So I, we're at, we're at time. Um, I think it's a good, good idea to probably wrap things up. I don't want to take, um, too much of your time, uh, Daniel. I want to thank both you and David. Did you, oh, David, you want to say something? Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, you, I saw your, your lips look like they're poised. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to thank both your time as usual uh, for being here today and having this conversation. Thank you for, uh, you know, being here chat and in, in, in asking the questions and absorbing. Uh, Daniel, good luck to you in that little voice yeah, in your head. You. Um, may he be silenced forever. And I look forward to seeing all the, can anyone, can people go see anything on this Harry Hill thing? Or is it like totally like secret uh, right now? No, no, it's not secret. There's a bunch of stuff on my Instagram Okay. There's like little, I'm just, I just haven't shown her any full animation with the thing. Sure. Cause I was saving that for the trailer, but I, you know, the trailer was supposed to come out like a year ago. Anyways, the right. film is coming out this, it'll be out this spring. Like it's going to be done. Oh, that's exciting. We're, in, we're rendering. It's going to be finished finally. Oh, um, so yeah, it's, there's stuff you can see works on progress on our Vimeo, but mostly on my Instagram. There's, that's where most of it is living right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it'll be out there. And when it's really done, that, that would be great maybe to have you again oh, and yeah. just focus on Harry Hill because I think it's going to be a pretty uh, a pretty special little piece of entertainment. So yeah, thank you. I'm well, you guys really do great work for it. Too, so yeah, thanks. Thanks for your thanks yeah. for your time and patience. I appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, Dan. That was great. Yeah. Talk to you guys soon, and um, yeah, we'll try to drag you back into the uh, into the chat there when uh, when that comes out. We can have a little bit of a retrospect on all of it, yeah. a bit of a deep dive. That'd be great. Okay, well, Daniel, all thank right. you. Enjoy the rest of your day, David. Thank you, you, too. you as well. Yeah, see you guys. Thank see you, you guys. Everybody. On the yes. okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Uh, yeah, you got to really check out Daniel's work. He is um, uh, pretty awesome, and the stuff I can I really want to see Harry Hill because I think it's uh, it's going to be. Um, most likely next level. I think that his stuff, if you've seen it, if you're, if you're like me and has seen some of his work, it's just something so it's hard to even describe it. It's just, there's, there's a, there's a layer of depth to it. And I, I really feel like he's taken, that's why I touched on it earlier when I asked that question about, you know, it's funny that he started with power animator and in the way he sees software is being kind of calculating and mathematical because that's, you know, even being a very technical guy, it's interesting that he says that because yes, you do need to learn and master the technical aspects of the job, but you don't want the art itself to become too technical. And, and I think he's really found a way of, of leaning in on that a little quite a bit and a lot of his stuff has a very retro feel to it um but uh, but mixed with a lot of sort of like modern filmmaking techniques so i would highly recommend you take a look at some of the stuff he's done maybe find him on instagram I, oh that's hot it's scott's reading my mind so there's his instagram right there if you want to check out some of his work it's in chat so thanks again chat for being here stay animated and um i'll see you on the next stream cheers thanks for listening to this episode we hope you got a lot out of it Agora Community is a free resource for artists in the animation, visual effects and gaming industries, providing daily educational material, free rigs and assets. We also have a range of experts you can purchase affordable animation reviews from to help you level up your skills. You can check it all out at agora.community. 
Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming conversations and free animation quick tips. So, until next time, stay tuned and stay animated.